50 years. Exciting work from Babu at the Pan-African Film Festival. Tune in, go there, be a part of the processes. Make it a part of your calendar and a part of your schedule. You'll be very satisfied you do. Closing Ice Life will give us a spoken word offering. Whatever you can squeeze into a minute and a half, Ice. We know you can do it, son. They say a long, long, this is going to be a fast story. <laughs> they say a long, long time, tell a story really fast, brother. <laughs> they say a long, long time ago, way before there's any people on the earth, you know what I'm saying, brother? All there is is animals, lions, mm-hmm. tigers, bears, oh my, that kind of thing. All the animals is getting along, and then they wake up one day, and there's people on the earth. People out their mind, they're eating possums, butterflies, you know, mm-hmm. some the animals. They say, hold on, cuz, that's what, how they talk, even back then. Mm-hmm. They say, we got to figure out what it is we're going to do to get out this situation. They decided to have a meeting on top of Pan-African Mountain at... 10 mm. o'clock, around 9.30, you see all the animals, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, they all coming together, you know. But to go to the meeting, even the fish is out the water flapping up to the top. So anyway, the elephant, she's in line swaying back and forth, you know. She see the chicken coming back the other way. She say, chicken, why you, well, where are you going? You know, we on our way to a meeting to define our destiny. The chicken said, man, I ain't trying to hear all that save the animal <laughs> stuff. It's my birthday. I'm on my way to the club. And the chicken popped his feathers, Babu, and kept it moving the other way. So the elephant get back in line, get up to the top of the meeting, the draft leading the meeting. Order, order, order. She bang her, um. Draft hoofy foot on a tree stump. You know, she she say, order, order, order. Who's got the first idea of what we can do to get out the situation? The gopher come out the ground. The gopher, the gopher goes, well, you know, we should build a spaceship and fly away. And uh, the bear was a brother. He was leaning on a tree. He said, man, it's the year one. Where are we going to get a spaceship from? <laughs> all the animals laughed, made the gopher feel small. The bear said, we should choose one animal. All the animals is here. The people could eat that animal and leave us alone. I say we sacrifice the goat. And the goat was like, bad idea, man. <laughs> you know, I got I got to take my kids uh, to the doctor tomorrow. No, who we should sacrifice is the monkey. The monkey was fly. The monkey came out the tree. Ooh, ooh, uh, 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 uh. No, no, you can't sacrifice me, man. I got to take my kids um, hang gliding. Who we should sacrifice is the bear. And the bear's like, oh, I know the next person speak on me and some sacrificing in here straight up. It's, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know. So the bear said, who we should sacrifice is the chicken. Mm-hmm. And everybody looked to the left. They looked to the right. Of course, the chicken is at the party by himself. <laughs> they took a vote, brother. They said going once, going twice, sacrifice. Wow. See, the problem is, y'all, we be at the wrong meeting. Focused on the wrong things. The Pan-African Film Festival was the right meeting. I'm honored to be a part of it. Ice Life. Ice Life. This is KPFK. Thank you, D'Angelo. Thank you. The fun drive starts tonight at 12 o'clock. Call in and support this station. This is Mary Kara. Hotep. Peace. This is KPFK 90.7 FM and kpfk.org. And yes, the fun drive starts tomorrow, so you can come in and volunteer. Just hit up Jessie. You can do that by contacting her at volunteer at kpfk.org. Stay with us to hear Here in the City. That's coming up next. Peace. Think Green. Harrison with you. New research on broccoli shows the leafy green vegetable actually aids in everyday breathing. If you like Think Green, please join me, Harrison, right here on KPFK each Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday afternoon from 3 to 4 for breaking news and current affairs and call-ins. That's Monday through Wednesday at 3 right here on KPFK. UCLA scientists have discovered sulforaphane, a natural element found in broccoli, along with other cruciferous veggies like cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, which, by the way, are excellent when not overcooked. 
Well, this class of vegetables appears to guard against the lung inflammation that causes asthma and other respiratory conditions that make it hard to breathe. The March edition of Clinical Immunology shows that broccoli protects the airways against polluted air and pollen, even diesel exhaust and cigarette smoke. Think green with Harrison at GoHarrison.com. This is Ed Begley Jr., and you're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, and worldwide at kpfk.org. Good afternoon, KPFK listeners. This is Here in the City. Today is February 14th, 2011. I'm Sarah Harris. We are here most Mondays on KPFK, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and profiles of people working toward creative social change in Los Angeles. Today is St. Valentine's Day, and we are going to talk about love and empowerment and worthiness on the show today. But first, the news. In Egypt, Egypt's military has dissolved parliament and suspended the constitution following the resignation of Hosni Mubarak on Friday. Yesterday, Egypt's Supreme Council of Armed Forces said that it would run the country for six months until a new government is in place. Military leaders met with youth protest leaders and expressed plans to convene a panel to draft constitutional amendments for approval in a national referendum within two months. Earlier today in Trajir Square, thousands of state employees gathered to demand better pay and working conditions. The armed forces called for national solidarity and asked the workers to stop further harming the Egyptian economy, but they did not forbid them from protesting. And in Tehran today, police fired tear gas and occupied two main squares in clashes with thousands of Iranians marching in solidarity with the revolution in Egypt. Dozens are reported to be injured. The New York Times is reporting that Texas schools are looking at the biggest cuts to public education since World War II. The state school finance system was restructured five years ago and has not recovered lost funds. Texas Governor Rick Perry told voters in the state of the state last week that he will not use $9.4 billion in reserve funds to bail out the schools. $3.3 billion in federal relief for schools in Texas expired this year. To balance the budget cuts alone, the governor and Republican leaders plan to reduce the state's public school budget by at least 13 percent, or $3.5 billion, and assign no new monies for Texas's 85,000 new students who add to the ranks annually. District administrators say as many as 100,000 employees would have to be laid off under the governor's plan. And in local news, according to the Los Angeles Times, local governments in five inland empire cities, Temecula, Murrieta, Lake Elsinore, Menifee, and Norco, have begun to require all businesses check the legal status of new workers through E-Verify, the government's free online database used to determine the immigration status of workers. These mimic similar laws in Arizona, and employers who refuse are at risk for losing their business licenses. 
A federally sponsored evaluation of E-Verify found that the program often failed to detect cases in which workers used fraudulent Social Security and immigration documents. Another study found that legal workers were sometimes wrongly identified. Those who are mistakenly red flagged tend to be foreign born and face extreme difficulties in clearing the record. Unemployment in some of the Inland Empire cities here in Southern California has reached close to 15 percent. Listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive of our shows is at hereinthecity.org, that's H E A R in the city.org, and you can like us on Facebook. Today is St. Valentine's Day, and so I sat down with Dr. Isamor Flores Peña to talk about the subject of love. Dr. Flores Peña teaches anthropology and folklore at Otis College of Art and Design. He is also a Lukemi priest in the Afro-Caribbean tradition here in Los Angeles. I started our conversation by asking him, what is the origin of St. Valentine's Day? Well, Val- Valentino or Valentinus or Valentine uh, was a Christian martyr that, according to legend, uh, was imprisoned for his, uh, in Rome for his uh, preaching of Christianity, but while, while he used to, to marry people, and when he was free, carry messages of hope to those people who were condemned to death, and he will sign it from your Valentino, from your Valentine. That's where we get the, the expression uh, from your Valentine. Uh, eventually, you know, we haven't been able to find out if, if he was a historical person, but his legend has been resonating as an example of uh, unselfish love and service and unselfish uh, commitment to to love. So hope also. Absolutely hope. You know, love love is probably one of the of the feelings that that gives us that sense of elation that gives us hope against all the most impossible odds. And in Afro-Caribbean cultures, can you find some examples of similar symbols? Well, all religions, there, is, there isn't a single religion who doesn't have uh, a god or goddess of love. You know, we have Kama in India. We have, um, we have uh, Hathor in ancient Egypt. Uh, you know, there's many, many uh, deities throughout history that have to deal with love. In Afro-Caribbean religion, is Oshun. She is the goddess of love. Uh, and we, we have the need and we find the necessity of 
personalizing love and, and, and give it a body, give it a, a personality. Someone that can that can we can address when love needs to be dealt with in more ways than just pretty words. I know that in the Greek language, especially in ancient Greek, there are many words for to love. It's not one thing. It's many different levels. And I'm wondering if in your research and travels and experience, if you've encountered many different levels of what love is. Well, I think that uh, the Greeks, you know, like they say, the Greeks had a word for everything. But the, the truth, the truth is that there is not one love. And it is interesting that Eros was the first, the first god to emerge from chaos. You know, er, you know, you have erotic love, the the love that needs to possess, to to be fulfilled. But there is also there is also the love that that doesn't need to possess, the love that just needs to be given, in order to feel fulfillment. And we talk about platonic love, and we talk about, about agape, and we uh, and we talk about all these different uh, feelings. And sometimes, uh, and many times, we go through all of them. We need we need to we have the need to possess. We need the we have the need to to be to become physical. Sometimes we that that physicality is not there. Just the presence of the person of the beloved is enough. And mystical poetry is full of that. You know, Saint John of the Cross in the 16th century and Saint Teresa. The great mystics talk about this idea of uh, the soul needing to meet its maker and, and embrace it in love. And mystic poetry, you know, Sufi poetry in Islam, for example, speaks about the same thing, this idea of love. Uh, it has nothing to do with possession. It has to do with union, this mystical union uh, with the divine. And I guess it's cultural. Uh, depending on how we consider uh, culturally how male and female or how humans need to relate to each other, love will define that relationship. And the the societal or the, the extension beyond just the individual and the love for society or for a place, I'm thinking about this in terms of love and the capacity for a society to love unconditionally. Even if we don't know it, even if we don't notice it, someone is worthy to be loved just because they exist. And that is also a feeling, uh, a feeling that, that then gets expanded to not just our immediate um, environment, but it gets expanded to society at large. And then we talk about love for the environment. We talk about love for Mother Earth. And uh, the idea of who's worthy of love goes with the, the vision that that society has of itself. Uh, we are, you know, in our society, we're breaking barriers. We're trying to break barriers and, and say that everyone is valuable, that everyone is, uh, is, a, is a child of the cosmos, of the universe, of the creator. And therefore, as children of the, of the same creator, we need to love each other and be our brother's guardian. Sometimes we behave contrary to that, picking and choosing who we love and to what extent. And this is part of many of the social injustices that you see in our own modern society and in our own uh, world, you know, that we decide who's worthy of love and to what level. And that's how we move our aid. Maybe may that be physical or food-wise, or access to education, access to medicine. If you look at it, you know, these are all decisions based on who is worthy to be loved. 
This is a very important point because presented with the myriad of opportunities and options of very worthy causes of meaning if worthy is gauged by need because somebody is suffering, there are no end to worthy causes. And yet people decide, I think, largely based on something called the narrative. It's the story that's told. And so how much does that have to do with our own perceptions of worthiness and love? You know, we are taken by the narrative. We are people of narrative. We love narrative. You know, who doesn't like a good story with a great ending? But in this case, what, what you're trying to do is to find out how that narrative fits in your philosophy of living. The last question I want to ask you is for somebody to live in a way that their heart can be more open to really see someone for who they are and offer them their heart. What quality do people possess that's unique in being able to do that? Empathy. Empathy. I mean, uh, it was Ruben Darío who said that the heart has reasons that the head can never understand. You know, and sometimes you need to go beyond physical appearances. This is why love needs to be blind. It must be blind. So we can go beyond the physical shape, beyond the, the likes of dislikes of what we of the person, male, female, it doesn't matter, child, old, young, it doesn't matter. You have to go beyond that and look at and, and that empathy. That's what gets you there. Because if you, you know, we all go... You know, we have the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. That's us. You know, we, of course, like a person who's dressed nicely, smells gloriously, right? It's very close to what our idea of perfection is, but it takes considerable effort to go to a person that is just the opposite of that and extend our hand. It's, ve it's very hard. It's very hard, and, and it's hard because it goes against our aesthetic judgment. And sometimes you have to put that aside. Uh, Mother Teresa, for example. You know, that's a perfect example of uh, love that goes beyond anything. And there's, like Mother Teresa, there's many people around the world. Some of them, not, they're not famous. They're just people who just go and do the right thing all the time. You know, people who teach. People who, who help people in the street, people who uh, care for others. But if you ask these people, why are you doing that? They're not looking at this person the way it is now. It's, they're looking at the, at the thing that they can become. And in that sense, uh, probably to, to end up it, it is, uh, this wonderful chapter in Cervantes' uh, Don Quixote. And... You know, there's uh, this wonderful scene in which Don Quixote, of course, is charging against the, the, the windmills. And obviously there are windmills and he doesn't believe it. And he gets all thrashed all over the place. And Sancho comes in and calls him everything in the book, how crazy he was, how ridiculous he was. And he keeps just, you know, insulting him and his judgment. And uh, Don Quixote says something that I think is a great, is one of the most... Uh, grandiose moments in Spanish literature. He said, Sancho, I know who I am and who I could be. And that is the essence of love. Self-love. You, you can't love anyone if you don't love yourself. How could you? Dr. Flores Peña, thank you very much My for joining pleasure. us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. 
listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles and on the World Wide Web at kpfk.org. You can like us on Facebook and visit our website hereinthecity.org. I'm Sarah Harris, and we are back with more radio realities from the urban landscape. As Dr. Flores Peña was mentioning, empathy, the root of all love, begins with the love of self. Our sense of belonging and community, our sense of purpose and worth in life are grounded in a healthy sense of self. That process of fostering self-love starts in childhood and grows as we grow. Achieving love of self may be natural for the luckiest of us. For others, it's a long, hard slog. Obstacles are everywhere, and surely romantic and erotic encounters present some of the most difficult-to-overcome obstacles. Humans have written about, talked about, sang about broken hearts and first loves and all the cliches that go with them through the ages. But we do not so often hear about the moment of awakening that comes with a positive, self-affirming, romantic encounter, one that propels us further down the path of self-love. It's even less often that we hear about such moments from gay and lesbian men and women in love. We are going to listen to one such poem from Los Angeles-based writer Steve Rain. Our producer, Luis Sierra Campos, brings us his words. One word to the audience. Some of the content is not for children. You're tuned in to Here in the City, and I am Here in the City producer, Luis Sierra Campos, and I'm here with... Poet Stephen Rains. And Stephen, what are you going to read for us today? Today I'm going to read a journal entry I wrote at the age of 16. It's uh, I wrote it on December 4th, 1992, and it's about my first sexual experience. For all those listeners who are out there, um, I may forewarn you, there may be a little um, adult content. So just, you know, hear lovingly and respectfully. All right, thank you. Since it's a journal entry, the piece doesn't have a title. We were sitting in the condo parking lot behind the Clarkson 6 Cinema, talking, and then I asked if I could kiss him. Who knows about my sexuality at this point? So we did, and I put my hand on his stomach. Then he goes straight for my buckle and had it off, fast. Then I tried for his. We're still kissing, both groping each other. He reclines, and I suck him. He wasn't very big. I'm much bigger. So I'm going up and down, and my lips are so sore. I tell him this, and he replies, okay. Then I recline in my seat, and he goes down on me. Oh, God, was he good. I held the back of his head, then the side of his stubbled face. We kissed, and I liked the thought it was the same mouth that I was just in. He wipes himself up. I move over to kiss him again, and he said, well, you get a hug. What the hell? I'm being blown off. Driving him home, we got a drink at the McDonald's drive-thru. He paid. We talked, and he explained he was unsure. He said he'd call me tomorrow at 9.30, then said bye three times, a sign of discomfort. How was that writing for you at age 16? At the time, I was keeping a journal and writing about uh, my daily activities, so... When this moment happened, it wasn't unnatural for me to come home and write about it. The journal entry was published in a chapbook entitled Ignited, 
And in that chapbook, I compiled all of the writings about that moment. And I was in a workshop 15 years later, and I'm still writing about my first time. And I thought, hmm, that's, that's interesting. I keep going back to it. I think writing about that moment was a way of making sense of a very confusing time. It was a way of creating a new narrative. So are you going to read something else for us? Yeah, I'd love to. The next poem is called The Dead. I read his obituary. Not only will he never breathe, eat, or sleep, he will never have sex. I remember the hot tub, his wandering hands, and I feel honored to have shared that with him. I've shared sex with so many who are now dead. Been there to give a moment of pleasure to a shortened life, knowing them in ways their mourning mothers couldn't have known, knowing their bodies, not like the back of my hand or hometown, but as a quick destination I'd visit for adventure, excitement, ejaculation, I knew their bodies when they had pulses, when their heartbeats quickened and their chests heaved with the intensity of orgasm. To desire them now feels odd, as the very vessel I lusted for decomposes. And when one of our sexual scenes flashes through my mind during masturbation, I appease my guilt Remind myself that this is a way I knew them, an ex-lover's way of honoring the dead and honoring the places I touched that cannot be touched again. Wow. Um, what inspired you to write that poem? I'd, the poem really came about, I mean, truly after reading the obituary of someone I had sex with, and we were never in a relationship. It was a casual encounter that started in a hot tub. Although, and then it made me reflect on all of the past lovers I have had who are dead. And it is a love poem of sorts. It's a way that I loved them or that we shared love for a great intense moment. And I think part of mourning is mourning whatever relationship you had with that person. Um. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. All right. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. If Steve Rain's writing defies cliches about love poems, this next poem, written and performed by Gabriela Garcia Medina, uses the repetitive and tired lines of love song after love song to create this ode to self-love, a transcendence, as it were, over the pervasive messages of pop music. Again, Luis Sierra Campos introduces us. Uh, welcome back. You're tuned into Here in the City, and I'm Here in the City producer, Luis Sierra Campos, and I'm here with... Gabriela Garcia Medina. What are you going to share with us today? I'm going to be doing a spoken word piece. It's called Self-Empowered Love Since It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And um, just to tell you a little bit about this poem before I go ahead and share it, uh, it's called Self-Empowered Love Poem, and it's inspired by all the love songs that I grew up listening to from the time I was a little girl to today. Um, all the love songs... Um, 
that were so codependent and all the love songs that didn't really teach me to be in a healthy, loving relationship. This is, I guess, my way of healing from all of those. I want to write a self-empowered love poem, an independent, not codependent love poem, a poem that's different from any other love song or poem. One that can be digested without affecting our self-esteem. A healthy, raw, organic love poem. Completely different from the spoon-fed love songs and poems our mothers and our grandmothers used to cry to. No more air supply on the radio telling my dad that he's all out of love. And Mary J, if you're going down cause he ain't around, don't take my mama there with you. And Leanne Rhymes, How Will I Live Without You, was one of my first breakup anthems. And when Jorge was cheating and emotions became physical beating, Cindy Lauper told me to stay and take it time after time. And with Mark, I would cry myself to sleep to Leela Downs telling me in Spanish that I should wallow in my own self-pity, while Tony Braxton gave me false hope with Unbreak My Heart and I would wake up to Billy Holiday singing Good Morning Heartache. These love songs we internalize and before we realize it's too late, we're already victims to these cycles of unhealthy relationships. Acting out of desperation, our fears grow into monsters fed by our insecurities, molding our perceptions of love, tainting its potential. We become vulnerable to loneliness and in the hopes of being being fulfilled, we selfishly claim our lovers, like Richie Valen singing, you are mine and we belong together, and Sarah Vaughn singing, you are mine, you belong to me and I will never free you. So we think we own people, like slave masters, we are filled with self-hate because we are not enough for ourselves, and we are suckers for self-destructive romance, no wonder we misunderstand the meaning of love. So I write this poem, this self-empowered love poem, because I want to shapeshift this paradigm. I am my own person and I refuse to be defined by these songs, these poems. I do not claim them. They do not sing to me. I release them and I write this poem, this independent, not codependent love poem that goes something like this, my love. Truth be told, I don't want to be addicted to you. And if you really <gasps> took my breath away, I would suffocate and I don't want to die for you. I won't do anything for love. I will not quit chocolate for you. No, I won't do that. I will not quiet my thoughts for you. Will not change my ways for you. Will not stop writing this verse. Will not put you at the center of my universe. No, I won't do that. Come what may, I will not love you until my dying day. If you turn out to be someone who brings pain into my life because you are not everything to me and everything I do I don't do it for you so I will not be lost without you and my life will not stop without you see I don't want to be crazy for your love and I hope that you're not always on my mind and yes you compliment me but you don't complete me I want to be aligned to you but not defined by you and sure you can always be my baby until the day you decide to act out and then it's peace out see you later I'm a lover not a hater but a person's gotta know when it is time to let go and you are not too good to be true there are many people I connect with that I am also attracted to and I don't only have eyes for you I actually like to appreciate beauty all around me it's not realistic for me to tell you that you you are the most beautiful
beautiful person in the world because although I know a lot of people, I don't know everyone. And I won't give my all to have just one more night with you if it's over. Why prolong it? Which is why I don't want to turn back the hands of time. If it happened, it was for a reason. See, I don't need you in my life, but rather I choose you in my life. And if I'm with you, it's because I want to be with you. And yes, I love you, but I cannot love you until the end of time because, well, I will die before time ends. And though our souls may meet again, I have no way of knowing that. So I would be lying if I promised you that. So I write this poem, this self-empowered love poem that doesn't need your validation nor wants a response from you. This poem that doesn't want to save you or enslave you. This poem that doesn't need you to love back, though it wants you to. This poem that is beautiful despite you. This poem that will exist without you. It can stand up for itself. This poem will not wait for you. Once you are gone, this poem will move on and keep shining. Mature, sexy, and grown, beautiful, everlasting, free, and loving itself so that it can truly love you. Happy Valentine's Day. It's the wonder of the world. It's a rocket to the moon. It gets you high, it gets you low, but once you get that glow. That's it for Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. Deadline LA is up next. Fun Drive starts tomorrow. Peace. Help KPFK stay fiercely independent and become a Pledge Drive volunteer. Our